Choose wisely, for while the true grail will bring you life, the false grail will take it from you. The Grail Knight, Indiana Jones in The Last Crusade. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Felonious Pundits. Ladies and gentlemen, we are in season two. Yay! I am Kentad Svensgaard, and along with me for season two, as always, your friend, your pal, AJ Mass. I am just so glad that nobody got recast in the off season. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was I was worried about that. That seems to be what happens with these uh, long running shows, as I assume felonious pundits will be. We got a while to go though, so you know either one of us at any time. <laughs> one down, fourteen to go. We're we're almost there. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Folks, as I've said, welcome to Season 2. This is a podcast about the television program Criminal Minds, where each week we recap and take an in-depth look at an episode of the show. I have never seen the show before, so I'll be giving you that first-watch perspective. And AJ is a grizzled veteran of the Criminal Minds scene who has seen every episode multiple times. And this week, as I have said several times already, yes, we are starting Season 2. We're... Got a show that's actually the the second parter of a two-part episode because season one's uh, ending was on a, a glorious cliffhanger. So yes, we are looking at season two, episode one of Criminal Minds, entitled The Fisher King, part two. This episode originally aired on September 20th, 2006. It was written by Edward Allen Bonero and directed by Gloria Muzio. AJ, I'm going to do something that I don't normally do on our recaps. I'm going to start off with a recap of the previous episode, just real quick. Just in case we forgot where we were. I mean, that's fine. They started with a previously on this one, too. So that was unusual for the show. So uh, go ahead. Previous up. Exactly. So previously on Criminal Minds, things went cray-cray. Because Karma doesn't think Morgan and Elle should vacation together ever. We got an unsub who's got a captive girl, seems to know everything about our BAU team. He sends Gideon a head in a box and the rest of the team various clues. Elle gets arrested down in Jamaica, but Hotch comes down there, lays down the Hotch smackdown, gets her freed. And then the clues lead our team to one final clue, which involves coded words from a book, but they don't know what book. The unsub then gives them one rule on their quest to save the girl which is don't involve anyone else. Gideon immediately holds a press conference to show that he's in control, and our unsub breaks into Elle's apartment, and as the episode ends, our screen fades to black, and we hear a gunshot. And all that happened on our last podcast, so there you go. Yes, (laughs) there you go. This week we open in the BAU jet. Elle is in a a seat. And the camera effect is hazy, so it's one of those obvious dream or, you know, not quite real sequences that we are are set up for. Gideon gives us our opening quote. He says, 
The defects and faults of the mind are like wounds in the body. After all imaginable care has been taken to heal them up, still there will be a scar left behind. French writer Francois La Rochefoucauld. We hear our sub-sub say, There were rules! <laughs> we next cut to Gideon. He's sitting in his office. JJ comes in saying they've identified the girl in the video. Her name is Rebecca Bryant. And he tells her to leave it on the desk. She looks at him with a bit of a worried look on her face, but she puts the file on his desk and then she leaves. After a moment, he picks up the file and starts to look it over. If you remember, Gideon had a semi-near breakdown last time. We pretty much saw him. He's done with it, I remember him saying. And so I guess that sort of explains his attitude toward J.J. in this very first little scene here. Yeah, he kind of reluctantly digs into the file. He's like debating whether or not to even pick it up at all. So... uh Certainly the wounds suffered from last uh, season are, have lingered as this is moments later in real right. time. <laughs> so we next cut to the conference room and Reed, Morgan, and Hotch are in there looking at the code. And they are not happy at the thought of trying to figure out which book it could possibly be out of the thousands that they have determined come out every year. Um, <laughs> which is a... Not an exact number like it usually is for them, but uh, that's understandable in this situ- in this case. In this category, it's pretty a wide category there. Morgan does mention something I thought was interesting as well. He says he, he understands that the unsub could get their names and addresses from the database, but he doubts that there's information in there that the unsub could have gotten, like uh, Gideon Diggs, Nellie Fox, or that JJ used to collect butterflies. Reed starts reciting a poem that they found in the music box, and he thinks it's, he's heard it before. And Morgan says, uh, well, I thought you had a photographic memory, to which Reed corrects him and says it's an eidetic memory, and that's for things he's read. It doesn't really work for things that he's heard. Which which is, you know, which I, br- I brought up and, and mocked a little last time, because they, they, they still haven't really nailed down this and i think they realized they hadn't nailed it down i think over over the summer they probably went you know we we said he remembers everything (laughs) let's nail this down if he reads it he memorizes it otherwise he might forget it gives it an out because they don't want these people to be superheroes (laughs) right this is not this is not the (laughs) x-men so morgan basically says well then we're nowhere And uh, Gideon comes in and he says that if we didn't have these clues, what would we do first? The answer is we would look at the victimology. Uh, So why is this particular victim in this particular place at this particular time? And they do have a victim, Rebecca Bryant. Gideon says she's missing out of South Boston, Virginia. And he tells Morgan that he can get there in a few hours if he hurries uh, and take JJ with him. Which is interesting because we, we, you know, they mentioned Boston last time, and all of a sudden it's like, well, it's not, it's not Boston, Boston, <laughs> which is what we all assume. Yeah. No, no, this is South Boston, which is in Virginia, which is true. There is a city of South Boston, Virginia. I think they probably pulled up a map and said, "Is there anything closer than Boston?" Like, well, there's a South Boston, Virginia. Oh, let's say that then, so that we're not contradicting ourselves in the last episode and then they can drive there in two hours yeah and if that's the case wow but okay (laughs) so yeah so uh morgan's like on it he'll go and take jj 
Gideon is talking about the this perp and saying, you know, we've been letting this guy lead us around like he's something more than he is. And Hutch realizes and says, hey, yeah, he's just another unsub. So they decide to start putting together a profile. Um, and meanwhile, they want Reed to keep working on the book code. So they leave and Reed is by himself and he, he picks up the picture of Rebecca Bryant, which gives us a chance to look at it and then sort of cut to her. Well, we actually dissolve uh, this time. So this is, a, yes. I think this is a modified Kodak. I'm going to call this the modified Kodak. It's not the, it's not the usual where we just pull into the picture and then we're there. This is actually a dissolve from her face to her current face, which is uh, not in good shape. Yeah, she is, she's sweaty, she's coffee, she's clammy. She doesn't look good. She's still shackled to her bed, and she looks at the little camera that the unsub has trained on her, and she pleads for whoever's at that other end to help her out. Then we cut back to the BAU office. We see Hotch, who sees Agent Anderson, our little Tony Goldwyn lookalike from before, and uh, is the guy that he sent home to drive home L. And he's like, well, where, where's L?" Anderson says he dropped her off a half hour ago, and Hotch is like, take her home doesn't mean drop her off. Uh, we're dealing with an unsub that has our personal information. She could be in danger. Go back there now. And Anderson leaves. And I thought, you know, Hotch, you didn't really explain that before. Take, take you home can just mean drop you off. And in most cases, does, I would think, yeah, mean I mean, drop you off. Anderson <laughs> can't read your mind, although I... I the only note, I just took a four-word note for this scene. Anderson done fuck up. Because <laughs> that's the only extent to this scene here. I mean, he, he generally, Anderson, looks like, well, but I did what you said. I, uh, do I still have a job? <laughs> <laughs> so then we cut back to our hazy dream jet, and a pilot comes up to Elle, and he's asking her for the case file. And she's like, how did I get here? And the pilot just says, I'm sorry, without a case file, you'll have to get off. The rules are very... And then we cut immediately back to reality, and a paramedic is shouting, clear, and applying a defibrillator shock to L. So that was a nice little transition there. There's a phone ringing in the background. Uh, we hear one of the paramedics say, she's back, she's back. And uh, so they keep working on her, and the camera pans up. And again, we hear our unsub speaking out. But this time he's speaking the word that's written on the wall in Dell's place in blood. Rules. And we get our credits. A fine transition to the uh, credits there. And I will say I would like to interject really quickly here that you've made some predictions over the course of uh, our podcast run here. One of the predictions is how many of the seven BAU team members will have near-death visions, and who, if any, well, we've got number one here, as we've seen L clearly having some sort of near-death vision, uh, and uh, so that's one. One! You predicted yes. three. You did not predict L as being one of them. I did not. Yeah, I was going to say, the people, though, I don't think... Uh... <laughs> Nevertheless, I got... that's our first. So, ding! We are on the board with the BAU team member having a near-death vision, which we pretty much established when we went clear. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, and also, shout out to Kirsten Bangsness for finally being added to the opening credits for season two. 
uh, even she's even in the group shot at the end. So I was happy to see that. Indeed. And let me tell you, that group shot's going to change a lot over the years. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. It's, it's like it's like the moon's tides. Like, <laughs> <laughs> so now next we uh, are back and we cut to Reed and he's at a whiteboard trying to list out possible book titles for the code. And if he's going to list possible titles, he's going to need a lot more whiteboard <laughs> than the amount of space he's got. But uh, anyway, that's what his list is. <laughs> and and uh, he's going thousands of books published every year. This seems impossible. And then he thinks out what he was just saying year every year. He picks up the baseball card. It's from 1963. That gives him a thought, and he takes off running. <laughs> he takes off running, and I, 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 this is just one of those little things in the background. It, it, they cut then to uh, a rando agent talking to Hotch, and you see Reed walking. It's just like this little hustle walk in the background. <laughs> he stopped running because he, he doesn't want to draw attention to himself by running through the actual office, but he's hustle walking. It is very, it's very amusing to me to see that in the background. And I think it's a nice continuity thing. And it's exactly what Reed would do there. <laughs> yes, indeed. It sure is. So, yeah, as you said, there's an agent coming up to Hotch and she's, uh, letting him know that they've got the delivery guy that they were after uh, in the press conference from the last last episode, the one who delivered a package to Hotch's house. Uh, and he's on his way up. We next cut to Reed telling Gideon that the book has to be the right volume and publication date or the code won't work. And now when you, Gideon, talk about Nellie Fox, it's about the 1959 White Sox. That was the year that was important to you, but the unsub sent us a card from 1963, and Gideon says, well, maybe he just couldn't find a 59. Reed says, you think a, a yellow pale butterfly was easy to find, or a music box that specifically plays the Trout Quintet? So the book has to be, well, probably, well, maybe, is from 1963. <laughs> so, yeah, maybe that's, uh, that's a good thing that they can start out with. You know, this whole thing is like, Reed is is in an escape room <laughs> yeah episode. he's just in an escape room he's the only one playing the other people are there but they're just, just disinterested <laughs> and they're really not helping but he's like hey guys guys 1963 so let's try 19 yeah whatever go ahead do it <laughs> well, yeah, yeah yeah just tell me when you're finished we'll, we'll help you with the next part <laughs> <laughs> right hotch comes in to let them know that the guy who delivered the puzzle to his house has just turned himself in they get up, and the camera pans over to the sketch of the delivery guy, and then that sketch itself dissolves into the actual suspect. That Modified Kodak Part 2. <laughs> yes. So, AJ, this guy seems very nervous, and, and Hotch asks about the delivery, and this guy is immediately asking if he needs a lawyer. And then he explains, finally, that a, a guy gave him the package, said it was only a few miles away, and a girl's life depended on it, and so... At first, he tries to act like, you know, oh, that's what it was all about, this this girl's life, depending on it. And Hotch very sarcastically calls him a, a real humanitarian, and the sarcasm completely go over, goes over his head, and he just sort of agrees with that. Oh, yeah, yeah, must be. <laughs> and uh, Gideon, without doing anything besides just being spooky Gideon, sits down and says, come on, how much? And the guy admits that. Well, maybe this other guy did pay him like a thousand dollars, and then he's again asking if he needs a lawyer. 
At least on the second part, I would say, yeah, you probably do, dude. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Good call on that one. Yeah, Gideon's sitting there the whole time just with a smirk on his face. It's like, oh, I know this guy's number, and I'm just going to play it. And it, it's interesting to see Gideon, this part of the job he loves. <laughs> Even though he's like, oh, you know, when he thinks about the girl being kidnapped and all that stuff, it, it wears on him. But this part he loves. Yeah. <laughs> Make fools look dumb. Uh, so Garcia is explaining to Reed that the hacker was really good, really good, and she didn't really track him. She's only gotten as far as Frank Giles' apartment. Again, from last week, they got to Frank Giles' apartment, uh, who was a patsy of our unsub and was dead when they got there. And he clearly didn't have any high-tech equipment. Reed points out, as Reed says, he he didn't even have a couch in there, so... <laughs> she uh, explains that she's written another tracking program, and this time she's searching the IP addresses of the other identity that the hacker was known to use, that of Sir Neef from the game that she was playing with him. Reed remarks on the odd spelling of Sir Neef, and Garcia just asks him if he needs anything, because he seems to be getting on her nerves a little bit there. <laughs> and Reed just wants to know if there's a database that lists all of the books published in a given year. She says maybe you can get something from an individual publisher, but there's no master list or database that you could get. And it depends on what year you're talking about, because the further back you go, the less likely they're going to have any database. And so Reed's like, 1963? No, Reed. We're not going to have a database from 1963. Highly unlikely. So then he gives her the poem from the music box to type into a search engine. She clickety-clacks it, and it's from a poem called The Parliament of the Fowls, Parliament of Fowls by Chaucer. Reed recognizes it, says his mom used to read him that all the time. It's widely considered as the first Valentine's poem. <laughs> Garcia makes a crack about his mom reading him Valentine's poems, saying, hello, therapy. Uh, <laughs> and Reed starts thinking... And we go into his head as he's dealing with the code, and we see the code enlarged in front of him. This is the only thing we can see. And he's putting pieces together, and he's saying, ah, it has to be at least 283 pages long. Uh, it has to be something published in 1963. And we see Nellie Fox, Nelly Fox floating by him. Uh, it has to be... Uh, something, there was a butterfly, the butterfly indigenous to Great Britain. Why? Something born, something from Great Britain. Okay. Uh, medieval. The medieval spelling of fowls was F-O-W-L-E-S. Wait a minute. There was a contemporary British author, Fowles, John Fowles. He has Garcia clickety-clack that name. Did John Fowles write anything in 1963 that was published in Great Britain? Yes, a book comes up, and it's called The Collector. Reed says, Collector, baseball keys, skeleton keys, baseball cards, skeleton keys, music boxes. These are things that are collected. Now, hold on. <laughs> mm -hmm. Hold the F on. People pull out baseball cards. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> I'll grant you, people collect butterflies there are lepidopterists out there who collect butterflies i ain't never heard nobody collect skeleton keys no no, no. <laughs> that is not a normal thing that people collect yeah yeah that that coins? was my 
coins, I believe. Ah, <laughs> uh, you know those skeleton key collector sites. <laughs> this whole, like, read jumping to the right conclusion. I mean, I went with it. Like, the fact that he knows John Fowles right away and the medieval spelling of Fowles. Okay, his mom taught uh, medieval literature. Okay, I can I can accept that he's heard this and known that. But yeah, what is this collecting of skeleton keys that he is talking about? Yeah, and I mean, look, you know, the next thing they show will 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 solve all that, and that that's good. The next thing that the next next thing that we're going to see will will prove that he's right. So here's the, here's the thing: like Reed shouldn't have to work that hard to show us that he's figuring it out. You know, it's like the writer doesn't work that hard to come up with this like mystery that it can be so perfectly solved together. It it, and there's no way I buy that the unsub is going to create the puzzle that's so perfectly crafted that it has one exact answer that is going to be gotten. He he wants them to solve it, and this is just way too hard, quite frankly, for them to solve it. Everything's got to fall into place, and the fact that it does, like you said. He knows the old English spelling of this rare author, and then he can figure out 63, and yes, all the clues are there. I get it. It's just, it's too much. Way too much. Thankfully, thankfully, when Garcia clickety-clickety-clacks and pulls up the book cover, we do get confirmation <laughs> that they're right. Yes. And they could have just put the book cover up and have him go, <gasps> look! That's, yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's exactly right. Uh, because the book cover has on the its cover itself... Of that edition from 1963, it has a yellow butterfly, a skeleton key, and a tuft of blonde hair tied up just like the tuft, exactly like the one they found in the DV in the music box by the DVD. So they they had it was obviously the right book at that point. Yes, and, and that, you know, I mean, that's great. That's a confirmation for us. But <laughs> did we really need Reed to work so hard for it? What he could have just. I'll get the 63 from the Bittnesville card. Absolutely, because what would you call it? You describe it as a 1963 Nelly Fox baseball card. So that makes perfect sense there. I don't even need to know that the butterfly's from the UK at that point. He gets Fowls. Fowls. Oh, there's an author named Fowls. I remember an author named Fowls. Yeah. That's all you need. (laughs) Agreed. So meanwhile, we cut uh, back to Hotch and Gideon talking to the delivery man. And they're asking him what the guy that gave him the package looked like. He can't really describe him except to say only that part of his face, the only part of his face that he could see was all messed up, scarred, burnt up. <laughs> and uh, we then briefly cut to our unsubs burned, scarred hands and scarred face <laughs> as he's making a telephone call. Hey, before we get to the telephone call, I just love the fact that he's like, Descri- can you describe it for me? Ah, and I really can't describe him. There was nothing interesting about him at all. Well, you know, except for the fact that he was all burned and scarred. <laughs> except for that one little detail that is completely I mean, unusual. <laughs> it's, it's great. I chuck it up to the fact that we've already established this guy's a doofus. So I'm okay with him. Guy, the guy who has been established as a doofus acting like a doofus. So that's okay. It, it just it was funny. <laughs> yeah. Next, we cut to Reed. He's coming up to Gideon and Hotch in the hallway, and he's telling them they know what book it is. He's got uh, four libraries out there looking for the 1963 edition of The Collector. Uh, he'll know if he's right once he checks the, the code against the book, but he thinks he's right. And uh, an agent comes out and lets Gideon know that there's an urgent call for, for him from something someone calling himself the Fisher King. And then at this moment, Reed looks at the words Fisher King 
on a little notepad, and he quickly rearranges the letters in his head, and we see that he realizes that Fisher King is an anagram of Sir Neef. Or okay. I should probably say vice versa, but <laughs> yes. Yeah, Sir Neef is an anagram of Fisher King. Uh, you know, let's... <laughs> can we discuss that? <laughs> let's discuss. Let's I, discuss. I mean, really? <laughs> Sir Neef? <laughs> It's not even, like I said, it's a weird spelling that he didn't notice earlier was K-N-E-I-G-F-H, Neef. I don't know why we would, why would you pronounce that Neef anyway? Because I would just, oh, Kneigef. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I wouldn't necessarily say, no, Neef. Um, he noticed it there that was weird. Why didn't he, why didn't that trigger, oh, this might be an anagram? There, and then back uh-huh. to Sal Fisher King. So then when he hears Fisher King, he can just go, oh, Sir Neef, Fisher King. Like, it, it would have made more sense to do it in that order. And if I'm coming up with the acronym, Sir Neef, why don't I just, I mean, are you, maybe you don't want to go as obvious as King Fisher, <laughs> if right. you're because, okay, that's too obvious. He could have been the Grief Kanish. <laughs> that would have been so much better. <laughs> he could have been Hinge Frisk. Hinge Frisk? Gr- my Sirkin- favorite, which would have fit in perfectly. It would have. Fitting perfectly into the world of Camelot, surf hiking, S E R F, surf hiking, high king surf, but spell it H I dash king surf. Mm-hmm. Those would have all been much better than Sir Kneef. I'm just impressed that you went through the effort there to <laughs> test out other anagrams. That's... Hey, I'm nothing if not devoted. And besides, <laughs> I've seen this episode so many times, I really didn't have to take notes. <laughs> <laughs> so, I, we... and one, one other thing. I, 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 don't, yeah. I don't know if you know, and if you were going to go to this, I apologize. But Gideon is standing there when, when Reed says, hey, an anagram's to Sir Neef. Gideon shoots Garcia. The dirtiest look at this point, and she just, like, her face just goes, mm-hmm. Like, oh, yes, it's my yeah. fault. It's my fault. I'm stupid. I'm stupid. I'm stupid. Yeah, I, I was going to go there. I mean, I just said, get in and pointedly looks at Garcia at the mention of Sir Neef. And he does confirm that the Fisher King is the character at the end of all the Grail quests. So Hotch orders someone to trace the call, and Gideon picks up the phone. And it is indeed our unsub with his whispery voice saying that he had what he had to do was not his fault it was distasteful and barbaric no one else had to be hurt and Gideon says you call yourself the Fisher King and then the unsub is saying look I told you there were rules Gideon says he's more interested in exactly how he got all those burns and the unsub just says Remember this next time you decide to step outside my instructions. Andrew Greenway did not have to die like that. And then he hangs up the phone and they all look shocked. Yeah, because, you know, up until this point, not a single one of them knew anything was wrong. So, you know, that's a cool, that's a cool shocker. I'll tell you that much. That's, that's yeah. the way to go into commercial. Not only that, they yeah. go into commercial, they paint the black and they replay the gunshot sound effect. As they go, right, in, which is really cool. Just to remember, remember she got shot. Pow! <laughs> yeah, whose fault was that, Gideon? Uh, anyway, <laughs> I'm not going to blame Gideon. I'm not going to blame Gideon. We come back to L on the hallucinogen jet, and uh, now <laughs> a man is. Jet, I love it. <laughs> thank you, thank you. Uh, and now a man is opposite her, and she says, "Daddy," and we 
cut to her being rushed along on a stretcher and a doctor is saying, notify the OR, she's bleeding out. And they've got, I mean, it's the whole works. There's like a doctor on top of her applying CPR. They're doing whatever they can to uh, save Elle. Hotchner is arriving there just then at that moment. Anderson goes up and apologizes and he says he got there just as the ambulance was leaving. Hmm. At this point, she's alive. They just took her up to surgery. So uh, Anderson says that the local PD says someone forced the back door open and surprised her in the living room. They were probably laying in wait for her. And it appears that she probably dialed 911 before she passed out. Gideon wants to know why they weren't notified. And Anderson said that the offender apparently took her ID and gun. And they didn't even know she was FBI until he arrived on the scene. Hotch said, uh, get back over there. This is a federal crime scene. No one touches anything until we process it. Go. And uh, Tony Goldwyn Jr. Jr. says, yes, sir. And he leaves. And, uh, it's so sad. Look at it. Anderson has been crying. <laughs> yeah. Anderson's eyes are red. and there's still, there's still water on the edge. I mean, he has been crying. This has not been a good day for uh, Mr. Anderson. <laughs> yeah. Reed and Garcia have a librarian on the phone. and they. I, I, I'm interrupting you. I hate this scene so much. I cannot contain myself. I have to get it out Agreed. there. Agreed. Go ahead. <laughs> uh, all, all I said about the rest of the scene was, and they get the code from her. <laughs> Did they end up 10 minutes short in this episode or something? Because this, uh, this yeah. entire scene is, hello? Yes, yes. Are you the library lady? Yes, I'm the library lady. Do you have the book that I asked you for? I do. I have the book right here. What would you like me to do? I am going to give you three numbers. Okay, let's go on. Number, number, number. The, 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 oh, the, the, the is good, 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 good. Next word. Path. Does that make sense? Oh, it's perfect. How do you know it's perfect? The next word could have been sandwiches. <laughs> yeah. Oh, uh, I uh, Agreed. It, it was like... They all they had to do is do the very beginning. Oh, we've got the librarian. We, we need you to work on a code with us. They don't Cut need back. it. At all. They don't need it at all. When he and you the got code the code. The next scene. The next time when he yeah. has the code. Well, we talked we to got the librarian it. and yeah. got the code. It's like, look, I know that I know a lot of you young hip kids out there like to watch the <laughs> Twitch and watch people play video games, and that's cool and all. <laughs> I don't want to watch people solving crossword puzzles. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, it's brutal. Brutal. I hate this scene. Hate, 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 hate. Okay, good. Let's ignore it. It didn't happen. Move on. <laughs> um, I will say I like the scene just because I didn't have to take as many notes <laughs> writing down the lines <laughs> during a scene. But that's yeah, a personal, uh, oh. personal oh. <laughs> opinion. Don't need that scene. <laughs> so we cut back to the hospital and Gideon is telling Hotch that the traced call got them nothing. Uh, why, don't we, why, don't we see, why don't we see Gideon getting a phone call saying, hey, we got the trace call and we found nothing. Did you? Did you get the trace call? Yes. Well, you see, what we did was we put a trace on the call and then we waited for the caller to call and then we went down this one. <laughs> it's clear that the unsub must have used a disposable cell phone. Hotch is feeling bad because he's the one that sent L home. But Gideon says it's not Hotch. And Hotch is still saying, yeah, but I should have been clearer with Anderson. Yeah, you should have. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, he should have been a little bit clearer. And Gideon says, you know what? Try Morgan and JJ again. Hotch has tried three times, 
but they're apparently out of cell phone range. Gideon says, try them again. He doesn't want them to hear about L on the news. And I'm like, well, if they're not even in a cell phone range, I mean, yes, it's possible they could hear about L, but come on, Gideon. Really? I mean, until about two minutes ago, they didn't know she was an FBI agent. So what news report is going to be suddenly like, woman named L Greenaway? <laughs> they might say woman was found shot, but, th- you know, that's not going to make the them take notice, I wouldn't think. And is is there still, in this day, in 2021, it feels like we don't have nearly as many, like, oh, I can't reach someone because of their cell phone. Is that just me? Or am I just talking now? to people? You Can know, you hear me now? Yeah. Can you hear me now? Yeah. Uh, yeah there's, uh, look, uh, there are places even that I do drive where I cannot get my my uh my iphone to work it doesn't download things it doesn't everything's really slow it's like certain parking lots where there's like 10 stores it's not that there isn't wi-fi it's that there's too much wi-fi and the phone keeps trying to connect to all of them and it it shuts you down momentarily so yes there are a few dead spots but yeah as a plot device we're gonna have to do better than there's no service there can be Oh, I left my phone at home. Oh, the the, the phone wasn't charged, which Hotch uses in the first part of this. Oh, I, was, right. I flew international. I came back. My phone ran out of juice. Like, okay, fair. But yeah, this is a plot device that already at this point, I think, is... is, is come on, Aged guys. out. Come on. Come on. Think of something better. Yeah. Especially, especially because on the flip side of this conversation, we'll have JJ going... I don't have phone service. <laughs> right. If if we didn't get it before, uh, they'll it give it to sides, us. You know. <laughs> yes, they'll give it to us again. Uh, we do cut to JJ and Morgan driving, and JJ is looking over Rebecca's Bryant's folder. She says that this girl was 16 when she was abducted. She's 18 now, so she's spent two years in that little cell. Uh, Morgan notes that there's no mention of of canvassing at all in the uh, original police officer's reports. And he thinks that they should call that original detective because something seems really funky about this particular case. And uh, yeah, here's where JJ says, yeah, she'll call as soon as she can get some phone service. (laughs) 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 Uh, We cut back to Garcia and Reed and they're looking at the decoded message which says, the path to the end began at a start. To find her, first calm her long-broken heart. She sits in a window with secrets from her night. Is it adventure that keeps him out of her sight? There you go. (laughs) Reed immediately begins going over the clues in his head, uh, and he's saying them, and you're sort of seeing this whole process work itself out. Begins at the start, begins at the start. The youngest holds the key. Secrets, adventure, sits in the window. We do see him think of a picture of his mom sitting in her chair by a window. (laughs) Um, So that's what that brings up for Reed. We see pictures of all the various clues that we've seen so far. And Reed has finally figured something out. Uh, He picks up the phone and asks to be connected to a field office close to Las Vegas. Uh, He needs his mother picked up right away and brought to Virginia in protective custody. He believes she may be in danger. He's explaining that they're working on a case and one of their agents has been shot. And he believes that the unsub may be know his mother. And he doesn't care that Garcia is in the room as he's explaining. Yes, she's at the Bennington Sanitarium. Her name is Diana Reed. She's a patient there. 
And then we cut to Jane Lynch sitting in a yard reading. And a nurse walks up and says, yeah, there's someone there to see her. And we go to a break. So my question from last episode, was that all we got of Jane Lynch? <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, do, I do have a couple of points about the, again, Reed figuring this riddle out. It's not a poem. It's a riddle. Well, you don't really know that. <laughs> but okay. Right. It's a stretch for him to get from the, those lines to his mother. And quite frankly, if I were a psychopathic <laughs> killer trying to get to, I mean, he's picking all these words at random from this book. He couldn't throw in mother at some part or, you know, or born or, you know, born from her or you know, something to indicate motherhood. He couldn't reference Las Vegas in a much more direct way. There's so many ways he could have done this as opposed to she sits by the window. How? He knows that Reed doesn't go visit her. How's he going to know she sits by the window? <laughs> I'm sorry. This is just dumb, 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 dumb. It's a stretch. And again, I get that there's a way to get there. Now, what's good about the scene is that, like you said, Garcia's in the room, and nobody knows about Reed's parents in the, in the team at this point, his mom. He doesn't know about the situation. And he does lower his voice kind of with a little bit of shame when he says, she's at the Bennington's, you know, she's a patient. Right. So, you know, Garcia's overhearing this for the first time, and this is the first time Reed's really telling anybody. So it's 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 a big deal. Um, it's 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 uh, it's something. It's that a it breakthrough. Took, yeah, but it took it took something. Mm-hmm. This like he's really worried for her. You you could tell. So right uh, now the 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 show does something a little dirty here by saying there's someone to see you. Dun dun dun. <laughs> As they go to break, like some sort of ominous point of view thing. So uh, I'm a little annoyed by that, but at least they do pay it off later. So right. And our next scene, when we come back, because there was a break there, uh, JJ is on the phone, and she is getting the news about what happened to Elle. She tells Morgan the news, and he stops the car, immediately tries to do a quick U-turn, and and says that they're going to head back. And JJ is like, no, Hotch told him not to come back. There's nothing they can do at the hospital. And maybe they can find the unsub by looking into Rebecca Bryant. Morgan does ask, how bad is Elle doing? And and JJ says, she's in surgery. That's all they know. Speaking of surgery. (laughs) (laughs) Let's cut right to it. The doctors are there doing their thing. But Elle is flatlining. So she's in bad shape here. It's all very bloody and (laughs) surgery-like. That's what we get from that. Uh, We do cut back to uh, our jet She's saying, Dad, it was so hard growing up without you. He apologizes. She says it wasn't his fault. She just missed him so much. He says he's always with her. He's always going to be with her. She asks what's going to happen to her. And he says that that's up to her. And she nods at this news, basically. You must fight! You must fight! (laughs) (laughs) We then cut to Hotch who walks into the waiting room and asks Gideon if there's been any word. Gideon says no, and Hotch lets him know that he's called JJ and told them that they, they'd let them know if anything has changed. Uh, he does notice a bunch of scribbling that Gideon has been doing, is, is what I'm going to call it, and he asks Gideon what all that is. And Gideon looks at his notes and he's saying that the unsub is extremely organized. He sounded truly shocked that they didn't follow the rules. 
He believed that they would simply listen to his directions. Uh, Hotch says he's delusional. He thinks he's a mythological king. And Gideon points out that delusion and this level of organization are almost mutually exclusive. You don't meticulously plan out contacts in the real world if you're suffering from psychotic breaks from reality. Uh, at this moment, Anderson comes back. He asks how L is. Then he reports that they still have the crime scene locked up. Uh, they did find a partial print from the message that he wrote on the wall in blood. They aren't sure that it's enough to get a hit, but they're processing it now. And Gideon looks at the picture of the wall message and reads it to Hotch. Rules. <laughs> uh, why did they just call this episode Fisher King Part 2? Rules. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And also we Mercedes cut. rule was in the movie The Fisher King. The Fisher King. Oh. Oscar for it. <laughs> Mercedes there you rule. Go. <laughs> there you go. Uh, we come back and we're at the BAU office. Garcia comes up to Reed to let him know that his mom is okay. She's been picked up and she's on the way. And uh, Reed, just reminiscing, says he forgot how she always used to read him this poem. He should have realized it sooner. And what he realizes, nobody else knows things like JJ collects butterflies except for him. People tell him their secrets all of the time. Because they know, this was kind of sad, they know he doesn't have anyone to betray them to. <laughs> it's Aww. very sad. It's also not true. It really, it really isn't true. That's only his perception of it, which I really, I like, I like this scene because he's telling us basically what he's feeling, uh, this isolation that, that, you know, I'm the only one they tell secrets to, which, which also isn't true, like, you know, because... How does he know that uh, JJ was a was a uh, Washington football fan? Well, because Gideon told him, like you know, he knew something personal about her, and he doesn't know anything personal about anybody. <laughs> you know, they do exactly. Know. It's just he he he. His view of it is that if someone tells him something, it's because they know that he won't betray them, as opposed to uh, you're my friend and I'm just opening up to you. Like he doesn't see it that way. It's it's interesting, especially with then when we get. The further revelation is that, you know, I write her a letter every day to avoid the guilt, <laughs> the guilt of not visiting her. Yeah, uh, that's that's who he does tell all of his uh, life to is his mother. He writes her a letter every day, like you said. And yeah, that's the reason he gives uh, Garcia so that he doesn't feel guilty about not visiting her. And then... Uh, he asks Garcia if she happened to know, know that schizophrenia is genetically passed. And he, he doesn't look too happy as that. They don't, they cut off the scene at that point. Yeah, but, I mean, again, it, 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 this, is, uh, this is something weighing on his mind. It's like, hey, you know, she was really smart. She was the smartest person I knew. She was a teacher. She was do, knew all this, this stuff. And now look at her now. <laughs> is what he say look at her now look at what she's become and it's genetic and look what i'm going to become like that's what that's what's secretly work, working on, on his brain here i mean no wonder reed is the way he is <laughs> mm -hmm. we next cut to a garage door opening and rebecca bryant's mother and the local detective uh that happened to work the case are showing jj and morgan her belongings uh, everything is neatly packed up in containers in the garage, as I said. Um, and she asks if they're sure that the girl they saw in the video was Rebecca, and they say yes. And then Morgan, in a very lame attempt to be alone with the detective, 
asks Mrs. Bryant if she could go get some coffee because they've had a real long drive. She's like, what? And uh, JJ says, Hell, you know, I'll, I'll go with you. <laughs> so uh, make it more obvious, dude. Um, <laughs> after JJ goes off with Mrs. Bryant, Morgan says to the detective, he's seen kids that have been missing for a decade and their rooms are still set up and look exactly the way they did the day they left. Parents don't just pack up their kids' stuff and put it in boxes in the garage. And parents don't give up ever. What's going on here? And the detective says, well, it wasn't exactly a cut and dried missing persons case. Rebecca was no angel. She was always in trouble. She was in dope, vandalism, theft, truancy. Nobody at her school even blinked when she didn't show up in school that day. She was a part-time student at best. And Morgan says that none of this was in the report. And the detective says, well, why would it be? And Morgan says, because it's relevant, detective. The detective says, well, the, the uniforms filed an initial report, but missing persons never did a supplemental report because she had run away five or six times before. Morgan's like, well, she didn't run away this time, did she? <laughs> the, de the detective, all he can say is apparently not. Morgan is incredulous and says, so nobody even bothered to look for this girl for two years. The detective says no, and Morgan says... Well, why was she acting out? Were there problems at home? Was there abuse? And that's the moment that Mrs. Bryant happened to be coming back. And she's uh, saying, no, 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 no. From the moment they brought her into the house, they treated Rebecca like an angel. And Morgan's like, wait, brought her into the house? And yeah, she confirms that they took Rebecca in as a foster child when she was five. And after a couple of years, they adopted her. So Morgan asks about her birth parents, and Miss Bryant says, well, she doesn't know. There was something that happened to the whole family. JJ says, so her name hasn't always been Bryant? And Miss Bryant says, no, it was Garner, Rebecca Garner. We cut to Rebecca again. She's still sick. She's coughing away on her bed, and the uh, unsub is bringing her in some dinner. And she says she's sick. She needs a doctor. She pleads with him to take the chains off of her. He says, no, she'll try to escape. He'll be back for her dinner tray in a half hour. She picks up the tray and hits him in the head with it. Says, why don't you just kill me, you son of a bitch? He turns around. And, and this is when we get our first really good look at his Freddy Krueger looking burnt face. Not the greatest makeup job, but okay. Not the greatest makeup job, but do do I don't know if you looked at the credits or uh, noticed who was portraying this individual. Yes, it it appears to be it was was it Charles Haid AJ? It was. It was Ranko, <laughs> who directed two episodes uh, of Criminal Minds earlier this season, and uh, now they rewarded him by giving him. Uh, eight hours in the makeup chair. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. Thank you so much for being a good director. Here's your your reward. Yeah, so she's saying, why don't you just kill me? And he says, because I love you too much, Rebecca. Hmm. We then cut to Garcia's office. Her phone is ringing. It's Morgan. He asks for info on the adoption of Rebecca Bryant. At first, Garcia gets nothing when she searches just the South Boston, Virginia area, but she widens the search and she gets a Rebecca Garner who was adopted by a Mr. and Mrs. Joseph Bryant, Clark County, Nevada in December of 1993. 
the rest of the file is sealed, and Morgan tells her to unseal it because he needs to know what happened to that girl's family to cause her to need adopting. So Garcia says she'll work on it. There's a, there's a lot going on here. First of all, Garcia and Morgan normally banter, 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 but Garcia is so monotone. I mean, she's probably still in her head about the, you're so stupid. Uh, and now she's just had read unload a lot on her uh, as to what's going on in his head. And she is just, she's done. She's toast. Yes. What? What do you need? Okay. Here it is. I'll do it. Sure. Okay. Bye-bye. And, and then you get the part of the fact that we're, uh, as much as, again, as much as I love the show and I love the characters on the show, sometimes the plot stuff is like, oh, today I can't clickety-clack and unseal it. <laughs> today is yeah. going to take a while. <laughs> sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Yeah. So she needs time this time to work it out. We go back to the hospital, and Hotch and Gideon are in the waiting room, and Gideon doesn't think they have enough for a profile yet. Not a good one. They just have some generalities on this guy. Then he says to Hotch that the press conference was the the thing to do, right? And Hotch is like, sorry? And Gideon says, well, it brought out the unsub into the open, and and the unsub left a partial print, and we wouldn't have had that. It was really the only way to go. I did the right thing. I did my job. Elle will understand that. She'll understand. And then he walks out of the waiting room. So clearly, even he feels a little bit uh, responsible well, not only here. That, it almost seems like uh, there's a second unsub working this case. It's uh, it's like a really contagious virus that makes people feel really guilty about L. <laughs> Anderson had it at first, and he's crying, and he gave it to Hotch. And the last scene, Hotch is like, maybe it was my fault. It was my fault. And then this scene is again, it's my fault, Hotch. It's my fault. So all you have to do is tell someone it's not their fault and suddenly it jumps to your body or something. It's like weird. We next cut to the surgery, which is still going on. And then we're back on the dream plane and Elle is telling her dad that she's afraid. What if she doesn't come out of it? And her dad says, you keep talking like you don't have a choice, Peanut. I just wanted to throw that in there because I like that her nickname was Peanut. Uh you can choose to fight. You can try to beat the odds. It's up to you. She says, what if I want to stay with you? He says, well, that would be a choice, too. That would be a choice, <laughs> Peanut Greenaway. <laughs> uh, cut to Reed, who's pouring himself a coffee, and his mother is brought in. And she says, well, that's why you're so skinny. Too much coffee. Uh, he thanks the agents that are with her, and they go. And she says he knows she's terrified of flying. (laughs) She immediately goes in on him, basically. Reed says he knows. He's sorry. She asks why he had the fascists arrest her. And he says, well, they're not fascists and you're not arrested. I'm just protecting you. And she says, by forcing me to do the one thing I'm more frightened of than anything else. And he says, look, I need to show you something. So she doesn't seem too perky at, at this reunion. No, she's clearly, she's she's very paranoid and angry. Uh, and yet the first thing she said was very loving. <laughs> That's why you're so skinny, yeah. you drink too much coffee. So it, you could tell that she's going to be with it and then not with it, like in and out of, of normal. We cut to Garcia looking at reports, presumably about... Rebecca Garner's family, and she calls Morgan and lets him know that most of her family died in a house fire in 1992 due to faulty electric wiring. The mother, two Garner boys, and one Garner girl all were killed. 
Rebecca was found in the backyard crying, and apparently her father brought her out, then tried to go back and rescue the rest of the family, suffered massive burns, spent years in a burn ICU, and during that time he gave up his parental rights to Rebecca so she could be adopted because there was no other family. And JJ says, well, that could explain her acting out, you know, watching your whole family die in front of you. And Garcia says, and the father was given a huge cash settlement with the contractors who worked on the housing development. They were using faulty materials. Morgan says, good work. Print that up. We'll be back soon. And Garcia, meanwhile, after done with their, that conversation, she notices that after the father left the medical hospital, he spent a few years at, at a Vegas sanitarium, dun, 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 Bennington. Morgan says, he's still there. He says, does that mean something to you? She says, yeah, that's where. And then she cuts herself off because she doesn't want to give away, I guess, Reed's it's a, it's uh, secret. She knows that Reed didn't Reed's bring that thing up. to yeah. tell. She's not going to tell yeah. Morgan because Morgan, you, you know, as much as we love Morgan, Morgan abuses that boy. <laughs> yeah. Morgan will definitely say something in a quick second. And as she's getting up, from the phone, she sees a notification from her program running on the other computer for Sir Neef, and she looks back and forth between her various monitors, and she says, oh my god! And we'll find out what that means in a in a little bit. In a little bit, but it's but interesting. it's not really a surprise. No, we'll get into that as well, but yeah, just, again, uh, clickety-clack, can't open the files, can't, oh no, I couldn't possibly unseal those files, but clickety, clickety, clack, oh, I found this article, and then suddenly clickety, clickety, clack, he was at a sanitarium. <laughs> it's just very convenient when, when her clickety, clack mm-hmm. So, uh, Reed is showing his mother the conference room, she notes that the table is round, and Reed says, yeah, just like I wrote in my letters, and she said, yeah, just like you wrote in your letters. She says Dr. Jessen uh, gave her the, the book he brought her from Marjorie Kemp. She has a little attitude here when she's talking. Oh, man, that, that, the way she said that, yeah, just like you're in your letters, Mr. Comes and Visits Me and Doesn't Actually Visit Me. <laughs> like, oh, mm-hmm. Venom, Venom. Jane Lynch is just so good. <laughs> yeah. Reed says, well, Marjorie Kemp, she's your favorite. And Jane Lynch says... Yeah, that particular book is one of her minor works. And the way she says it, just, ugh. Reed is like, he looks just so disappointed at that. So she's very good, like you said, Jane Lynch is playing this part. She starts to then pull some evidence off of the whiteboard, and he rushes up to stop her. And he's like, uh, no, don't touch that. Uh, the unsub, which he then changes to bad guy, uh, knows things that only you would know. Did you write about them in your journals? And she says, my journals are none of the government's business. And she looks up like she knows she's being listened to while this conversation is happening. And Reed says, he's not the government mom. But she says, well, this certainly looks like a government office. And he asks her uh, if she writes about his colleagues and their personal lives. And she asks why he had her brought there. He says he needs to ask her some things about a man They think she may know a bad man. He's killed some people and he's holding a girl hostage. And she says, you think I know someone like that? (laughs) And uh, he asks her to just watch the tape and see if the guy sounds familiar. He puts it on for her and she does recognize his voice right away. Reed says, "Uh, so you do know him? 
And she says, she's sure it's Randall Garner. He was with her at the hospital. He's a very emotionally disturbed man. Garcia walks in and tells Reed she's tracked down Sir Neef, and uh, his name was Randall Garner. He's Rebecca Bryant's biological father. So, double confirmation of of our suspect triple, triple right there. Triple confirmation, because we found out that Rebecca Garner was Rebecca Garner from Morgan and JJ's quest as well. Right. I mean, all roads lead to the same answer here, which is why it's really... <laughs> it, it, it's silly, <laughs> almost. That is like everyone's like, <gasps> "How did you find it out? We already found it out." What, what, what do you care how they <laughs> found it out? You found it out your way. He found it out his way. She found it out their way. Like you all found it out. That that should be good. And they're just like, <gasps> "No." <gasps> <laughs> <laughs> we go back to the hospital. Hotch does come in and tell Gideon uh, that Reed and Garcia have identified the <gasps> unsub. <laughs> yeah, Gideon asks how, and Hotch says he doesn't know, but they want to know how to proceed. And Gideon thinks that one of them should be there, so he tells Hotch to go because he wants to be there when L comes out of surgery. He'll ca- call Hotch immediately if there's any news. Uh, and he does say that the only way for the organization level to be so high is that this unsub believes that it's all real. He believes he's the keeper of the grail. He needs them to find it, and they have to make him understand that it isn't real. Hotch says, all right, and then he leaves. Indeed. It's a, it's a scene that didn't need to be there either, because, <laughs> I mean, not really. Hotch, again, Hotch could have just, you know, showed up. Okay, you called me. <laughs> you told me you found it. Yeah, they told me they found it. How did they find it? I don't know. Then why are we having this scene? <laughs> Yes. <laughs> Back at the BAU office, Reed's mom is saying she can't believe that she's real. And whenever he talked about Rebecca, he never said she was his daughter. He said all of his children died in the fire. He spoke of a Rebecca more in the abstract. She really thought he was a meta. She was he was talking about a metaphor, not an actual human being, an ideal. Reed says a Grail. He thinks that he's the Fisher King. Morgan and JJ walk in, and Morgan is saying, who does? And Reed says, Randall Garner, our unsub. And Reed's mom says, she believes you're all modern-day knights of the round table. And Derek is just, like, pointing at her, like, who this? You know what my notes say? Morgan points at her and says, who this? Reed introduces them to his mother, and in the meantime, Hotch has walked in. He says, where, where are we on finding this son of a bitch? And uh, Reed says, look, he's rechecked the clues. There's nothing that points out to an address. JJ says the adoption records for Rebecca listed an address of the fire. She's checked it out, though. It's vacant, and no one ever rebuilt a house there. Uh, Garcia says she'll search the tax records to see if this guy owns any property. And Reed's mom is like, excuse me, excuse me. Um, let me stop you guys. Just before she left the hospital, a man gave this to her and she holds up a photo of a house with an address on the back. <laughs> um, it's uh, an address in Shiloh, Virginia, which is only 10 miles from them. She holds up the picture so they can Kodak travel their way there. Yeah, before before we travel, Kodak me. I do think it's a it's a nice little touch though that when 
she starts to say, excuse me, uh, and, and Reed is running over here to shut her down immediately. She, he doesn't want anyone to know that she, uh, pardon my quotes, cray-cray. Like, he doesn't want anyone knowing her condition, and, and he is so quick. And when she's actually lucid in this moment, it's, it's such a relief to him. It's, just, it's fascinating to watch him reacting to her the entire scene. Just He's so afraid that they're going to think less of him because of his mom. And it's just, it's, it's sad. It's very sad. Yeah. So we do Kodak travel to the house in Shiloh, Virginia. Uh, SWAT team and BAU team are together as usual, uh, converging upon the house. I don't see any doors get kicked in. No, so. because the gates are open and the door's unlocked, so you don't have to. <laughs> yeah, he's this guy is clearly uh, basically waiting for them. So they uh, go into the house, and immediately on the table, when they walk in, they find Greenway's badge and gun. Uh, so they know they're in the right spot. They start to search the house. Reed spots some kind of movement from a shadow upstairs. He calls the team. Uh, they carefully go up the stairs, and... Morgan is going to, like, rush this guy, but Rita's like, wait a minute, stops him. He announces himself. He's like, Mr. Garner, my name's Spencer Reed. You were in the hospital with my mother, and he's slowly talking to the, the room, at the, walking to the room at, at this point. And he says, you were in the hospital with my mother. I think she might have confused you. All we want to do is help Rebecca. That's what you want, right? That's why you sent us the puzzles. And uh, Garner says, ask the question. And Reed says, there is no magical question, Mr. Garner. Um, and he whispers to the team, he believes that if I ask him the right question, that it's going to heal all of his wounds. Hotch asks Reed if he knows the question, and Reed says he knows what he wants. Reed says he's going to move to where he can see him, and hands a SWAT guy his gun, and again starts walking straight toward the room where Garner is, while the rest of the team is saying, no, no, no! Um, <laughs> Reed says... Stay calm, Mr. Garner. Garner says, ask the question, Sir Percival. And Reed says, I'm not Percival. I'm Dr. Spencer Reed from the FBI. You were in the hospital with my mother, Diana? Garner says, if you want the grail, you must ask the question. And Reed says, she's not a grail. She's your daughter. Her name is Rebecca. Garner says, my daughters all died in a fire and, and his son and his wife. And Reed says, Rebecca lived. He says, no, your mother, she explained it all to me. Reed says, my mother's a paranoid schizophrenic who'd forget to eat if she wasn't properly medicated and supervised. And we do see M Morgan and Hotch uh, hear this information and, and sort of take that in I mean, I'm a bit, uh, in a quick shot. I'm a shot. bit surprised that Hotch didn't know. Um, Morgan, I, 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 I know, didn't know. Uh, I think Hotch probably would have known. I think Hotch is surprised, but you can read it as, oh, I'm surprised Reed is telling anybody. And admitting this, so it's, it's, mm. they're both surprised, but for different reasons. At least that's how I'm going to like to uh, to say it, because I think Hotch and Gideon probably know. Yeah, and again, that information of her address and that he was going to be there was in the database. So somebody at the FBI knew, and you would think it would be maybe his supervisors that would be privy to that information where he was going to exactly. be. Exactly. Uh, you know, I think this whole conversation is, is is fine and good. I I do wish it was a little tighter. It goes on a little long. And it could have been done by having, since they decided that Gideon was going to be the Fisher King expert, 
by explaining the Fisher King early on. Yeah, there's a grail. At the end of uh, every uh, story, there is, is there's a grail. And then blah, 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 blah. I mean, he could have explained the whole thing about the question there. And then when he said, ask the question, we'd know what the what he was talking about. We would have to stop the scene for him to explain there. Uh, and this could have used one more pass, <laughs> one more draft, I think. I, I don't hate <laughs> it, but this scene moves real slowly. Garter does say that she, meaning Reed's mom, she made me realize none of it's real. I didn't lose Rebecca. She never existed in the first place. Reed says she does exist, Mr. Garner. We're here to help her. He opens the door and Garner turns around in a chair and he has a big old bomb strapped to his chest with his finger on the detonator. Reed is like, uh, Hotch, Morgan, I think it'd be better if you guys waited downstairs. <laughs> and, uh, Morgan's like, go ahead and talk, Reed. We ain't going nowhere. <laughs> um, he does leave out a, a, an important detail here when he tells them to go downstairs. I mean, he can't, but you, you, you don't, <laughs> yeah, they need, a, they need to have a safe word or something for these situations. Yeah. Because, no, he can't turn around and say, he's got a bomb, because that, that could cause him to press the, the detonator right then and there. So you don't want to do that. You don't want to, quote, unquote, trigger him. <laughs> but, yeah, I understand why Reed didn't say, hey, he's got a bomb, but they should have some yeah. sort of thing where he goes, yeah, maybe you guys want to go downstairs. I left my keys in the car, or I left my wallet on the fridge. Some sort of phrase. Yeah. Oh, he's got a bomb. <laughs> yeah. Yep. So uh, Garner says, ask the question, ask the question. I'll be healed, and you can take the grill. Just ask me the question, Sir Knight. Reed says he can't. He says a Fisher King wound cannot be healed. It's not a wound to a body. It's a wound to the memory and a wound to the mind. It's a wound that only you can find and a wound that only you can heal. Garner says, just ask the question. <laughs> Reed says, there's only one question that matters. Mr. Garner, can you forgive yourself? He then starts saying he couldn't get to them. Reed says, you can tell me where she is. You can save Rebecca now. Tell me where Rebecca is. Garner says, you already know. I sent your mother the map. Reed says, what map? And Garner says, can I forgive myself? No, I can't. And he pushes the uh, detonator. Reed turns around, screams, and runs and leaps out of the room. Uh, there's a huge explosion behind him as he's flying out of the room. He's a little bit on fire <laughs> as he lands. And... Morgan happens to have the blanket, which I didn't even see where he grabbed it from, but he's got a blanket to put out the fire. All right, let's, uh, let's talk honestly here. They're all dead. Okay. <laughs> yeah. There's no way we mix it out of that room from the time that he presses the trigger to the time he realizes it starts running. The force of that explosion, Reed is dead, and Morgan and Hotch are probably dead too, because that, that, that explosion is big enough to blow the windows out on the opposite side. They're in... They, they're mm -hmm. dead. There's no way. <laughs> if Reed just, when he says, hmm, can I forgive myself? Mm, at that point, Reed should have said, oh, crap, I got to go and start running. <laughs> but, yeah. But, and then said, stairs, guys, stairs. Bomb, 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 bomb. Yeah. Something to, to get yeah. them moving, too, because, hmm, no, I can't. Click, boom. Oh, crap, I gotta run. Like, <laughs> <ugh>. <laughs> Boo. Yeah. 
So Morgan puts out Reed's pants, <laughs> which were on fire. Then they start to run down the stairs. They ask Reed what was that. He says he had a bomb. And this is where Morgan's all, you think we didn't need to know that? And Reed says, I told you guys to go downstairs. And Morgan says, you didn't say bomb. You left that part out. So Morgan was mad. But I agree with you now that you've, you know, sort of phrased it like how you did. Yeah, maybe that is something he couldn't say at the moment. Yeah. So calm down, Morgan. <laughs> anyway, they got it. The, the place is burning. It's still dangerous in there. But Reed says, hey, wait, we, Rebecca's got to be here. Hodge is like, we don't have time. Let's go. And I'm not quite sure why they don't really have the time. Like, <sighs> well, look. it doesn't seem like the place is, the whole place is going to collapse. Here's the thing. Maybe Here's I'm wrong. The thing. Like, you can't have it both ways, <laughs> really, in, in, that, in that what you're saying there. Yeah. I mean, either it's structurally sound enough. That you know it burns from the top down, but then you know you're going to get the explosion later. They're going to save Rebecca, and and there's going to be an explosion in her room two seconds again, two seconds after they get her out, which is just two TV drama for my taste. I guess you could argue that eventually the fire is going to hit a gas line, and then anything connected to the gas line is going to have an explosion there, which is why you do want to get it. I don't think it's going to do from the attic and then to the basement <laughs> and nothing in the middle. That's yeah. where they're, they're, they're wrong right. there. You know, it, it, I can see explosions going all the way down uh, in sequence, but not right. attic, basement. <laughs> so, yeah, it, I'm with you. Yes, they do need to get out of there, but the way it plays out is stupid. Yeah. Uh, so they do. Reed does say that Rebecca's got to be there. Reed knows that his mom was given a map, and then he pictures the house in his mind and, and the picture of the house. You mean to tell me Reed can remember something he saw but didn't read? Because you don't read a photo, but he's got perfect recall of that photo. Already they're making making this eidetic memory thing up as they go. <laughs> yes, uh, he remembers the photo and that there was clearly a, a light on in the basement, uh, which he re- remembers from the photo, which maybe it would have been helpful if he had saw that at the very it, it beginning. Just, the thing is, he just said to, he just said earlier this episode when cr- criticized for his memory. I don't have a photographic memory. And here he yes. has a memory, perfect memory of a photograph. It's so annoying. <laughs> yes. So they run down to the basement and they find Rebecca. They can't unshackle her. And then they have to pull out one more time. The youngest one has the key. <laughs> and Reed goes, oh, yeah, grabs the skeleton key. And they're unable to they are able to undo her shackles with the skeleton key. And then they all run out of the house. And as you say, explosions are occurring just as they get out of the basement uh, right where they were. I want to stop down right here for one second. (sighs) (laughs) The only reason that Reed has the key in his pocket is because of all the items on the the memory wall, the evidence wall, his mother absentmindedly picks the key up he grabs her and says, no, 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 that's evidence. You have to leave it on the wall. And he puts it in his pocket. Now, in a way, that's kind of subtle and cool that if you go back, that that is why he has the key. But if he doesn't do that, and if she doesn't randomly pick that, he doesn't have the key with him there. And Rebecca dies, and probably they die too. So 
spoiler alert here, <laughs> a little bit, but the only reason that they're all alive and they, they've saved the day is dumb freaking luck. And it's cool that sometimes that they are going to save cases by dumb luck. It's just after all that elaborate puzzle solving that they do that shows that they're just right. so brilliant that they're able to f- figure out this puzzle. They're so genius. At the end of the day, it all comes down to a schizophrenic woman grabbing a piece of evidence at just the right time. Uh, ugh. Mm-hmm. Ugh. And might I add, ugh. <laughs> Meanwhile, while they're running out of the house, we do get the in-show quote, and it's read, um, and it's not quite the end of the show, but we get the latter show quote, um, and it's read, and he's saying, It has been said that time heals all wounds. I do not agree. The wounds remain. In time, the mind protecting its sanity covers them with scar tissue, and the pain lessens, but it's never gone. Rose Kennedy, and I'm, I'm just left thinking. Oh, she must have said that in regards to JFK's assassination. I'm, assuming, I'm so. assuming, but I mean, that family's had a lot of tragedy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. Uh, so then we cut to L, and she's talking to her dad's spirit, and she says, "Dad, there is something that I need to say." He says, "It's okay." She says, "No, she's got to say it." That that day, that day, I was just mad that day. I wanted you to teach me how to ride my bike. I knew that you had to go to work. I was just being selfish and childish. And even the dad's spirit is like, baby girl, you were eight. It's, it's okay. Not holding a grudge. You were eight. Um, she says, I know, but I said, I hate you, daddy. And those are the last words that I ever said to you. I thought about that so many times and, and that I wish that I had said and the camera shows Elle, and she's now turned into the little girl that she was. And she says, I love you, Daddy. And he says, I love you too, Peanut, very much. And we go back to Elle, and she's adult Elle again. And she says, I, I can't stay with you. And he says, that's all right. She says, will I ever see you again? And he says, he'll be there when it's time. She says, I love you. He smiles at her just before his spirit fades away. And then we're back in the hospital, and a doctor is saying, there you are. Sleep, sleep. You're going to be yeah, fine. It's, it's rather an abrupt uh, shot of, like, uh, just his face in, in the camera, like, hovering over her. <laughs> oh, yay! There you are! Hey! You're going to be guys by! Like, yes. We just had this big emotional moment. It's like, wow, way to kill the mood, criminal minds. <laughs> and it uh, it is a nice character moment for Elle. We get some insight maybe to how she is towards men and why does she feel that way? And um, maybe because she's been missing her father's and she's felt this guilt since she was eight years old at how her last interaction was with him. And uh, it doesn't explain everything, but yeah, it gives a little, a little bit, bit of insight bit of the, to her. Uh, you know, her words have power. And if the last thing she said to the man she loved so much, her father was, I hate you, then uh, well, by gum, the heat love map is going to be all screwed up. So yeah, definitely. I, I do. I do like the fact we find out that her father was NYPD, NYPD from the the patch on his on, you know, on his uniform that he's wearing mm-hmm. in, in in dream. So it's nice. Oh, she comes from law enforcement. That makes a lot of sense. And you know, there's there's that there. Uh, again, uh, could this have been placed at a different part of the episode? Probably. 
<laughs> I, I think yeah. you know you put this before the saving of Rebecca, and then you know you kind of get the whole uh, order a little bit better. But uh, whatever, you know. <laughs> then you know the close quote can yeah. be the close quote at that point. Uh, but oh, you know, we're she's going to be fine, and everyone's going to be fine, and uh, we're back at the BAU just to wrap up the fact that everybody's going to be fine. <laughs> yes, we cut back to Reed, Hotch, and Morgan arriving back at the office, and JJ comes in to tell them Elle's out of surgery. She's going to be okay. Gideon's still at the hospital. Uh, Rebecca is also in the hospital, but she's going to be okay. Hotch says, thank you all, everyone. And Garcia says, we could have only gotten so far without Mrs. Reed. And I, I kind of wish she would have could have said here. And she's back in the hospital, and she's gonna be okay. <laughs> um, but that's it. that didn't happen. Uh, Reed goes to his mother and tells her they found Rebecca. She's safe, and that she helped them save her life. Uh, she looks up, and it's just sad. She just asks if it's time for lunch yet. She's gonna be lecturing everyone and Tristan and uh, is old. I can never Tristan pronounce that. Is old. Justin und Unsolde. They're all gathering in her room after lunch, and Reed just gives a smile and asks if he can attend the lecture too. She says, has he read any of the material? And he says, well, he's had them read to him. She says, wonderful, that's the best way, isn't it? And then we get a musical montage as we're going to go out. We see Gideon visiting Elle in her room. Uh, Garcia and Morgan are there working on fixing her computers. Uh, JJ is cleaning up the conference room, wiping down the whiteboard, I guess preparing it for the next case, whatever that may be. And Reed and his mom are on the plane, and she looks tense, but he's reading to her from some ancient-looking book, and he's holding her hand. And Hotch goes to Elle's apartment, and we see him cleaning the bloody word rules off of the wall. And that's the end of your episode. I will say, I liked part one of this a little bit more than I liked part two. The The setup was more intense and I thought tighter than the actual uh, conclusion. Yes. Here. Uh, I think a lot of it has to do with it's real easy to, it's real easy to write to a cliffhanger. And then it's like, okay, well now we got to solve it. It's never going to live up to the expectations that you put on it. Uh, it's really hard. I mean, many shows end seasons with cliffhangers and usually that the, we come back and it's like, ah, oh, was that it? <laughs> Is that how we yeah. solved it? Okay, sure, great. Um, yeah, and I also think that there was probably only about 30 minutes of episode here that they dragged out yeah. to, to fit the full 42 to 45 minute, you know, <laughs> length that they needed. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, uh, what are you going to do about that? Uh, all in all... Elle lives, so hooray. <laughs> um, you know, yeah, that's uh, one thing I did predict wrong. One so. thing. <laughs> <laughs> well, one of the things I predicted now, you, wrong, you, yes. You know, Elle, Elle lived, you thought she would probably die, uh, and you thought that the uh, unsub was going to be someone we knew from a previous case when that wasn't, no, it was just completely rando. That wasn't. Thing. So, yeah, yeah you know, not too bad there on that. And you did, you know, we have our first uh, near-death dream sequence there which uh you know i didn't raise it for no reason <laughs> yeah uh yeah, yeah you know thank goodness that uh that uh, the jet was free from uh, l's delusion so he could take his mom home <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah it had to refuel it didn't even have yeah. to refuel uh okay 
Anyway, yeah. AJ, let's check our barometer now that we've seen both parts yeah. of the Fisher King. And uh, let's decide if they won in this uh, case. Look, I got to call this one a draw. I- I'm sorry. Like, the- <laughs> they, save, they save the kidnapping victim who they didn't even know was a kidnapping victim, if not for the fact the unsub said, hey, guys, I got a kidnapping victim, uh, which I don't blame them for. But basically, he set up his own case here. Say, so see if you can catch me. Uh, here are all the clues, and s- it really dumb luck. Dumb luck that they don't all die in this. Uh, and they got <laughs> Elle killed, practically. I mean, she survived, luckily. Uh, but really, you know, hold the press conference. Don't follow the rules. <laughs> That's what got her shot in the first yeah. place. But, okay, they saved the day because Jane Lynch pulled the key off the board and not the butterfly. Because <laughs> if she pulled off the butterfly, yeah. everything plays out as it is, except for the fact that they're all dead. Yeah, and uh, yeah, I agree. They it, they really did nothing to to do that. I mean, they did solve the riddle, but it it just it it wasn't like that's what caused them to. Find any find the girl. It, it just it was dumb luck, as you said. Uh, I agree. In fact, it's, in fact, we get a tie. If they had not solved anything up to this point, not a darn thing up to this point, uh, other than the fact that you know they got the name Garner from from visiting the house, which, you know that they could have gotten just from general police work. I'm not talking about not solving any of the riddle. Mm-hmm. They still would have found Garner. Garcia still would have done clickety clickety clack and said, "Oh, it's it's her her father," and they would have figured out where he lived today from the tax records. So they still would have found it. Uh, so they would have gone there. They just wouldn't have had the the key with them. So <laughs> again, yeah. So does does the tie count for it? season two or for season yeah, we, one we, we or just, a tie in season yeah. two and a tie yeah, in season push, one <laughs> we push because it was a one part so it's just we're starting season two off at oh oh and one uh, we'll, we'll go from right. there it's not a win it's not a loss and perhaps that's a good way to start the season anyway it's just like all right you know what let's just reset and see where we are but uh like i said i i i agree with you uh part one sets up something that's probably more mysterious and interesting than than is delivered However, just the character development and and how good Jane Lynch is still makes this an enjoyable watch. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I didn't hate it. I just I had to uh, stretch a little uh, stretch it a little bit there, and uh, as far as the credibility goes. But other than that, agreed. Uh, so another thing we like to do at the uh, end of our episodes, AJ, once we have a complete episode, <laughs> is a little quiz. Uh, inspired by the episode. Yeah, so let us go with our little quiz. Uh, I have another podcast called Beat My Guess, which I do general trivia uh, from all different subjects. But here, like you said, spun off and inspired by the episode that we just watched. Question one. Uh, we had a closing montage in this episode uh, with the song called The Riddle. So a montage song, and it was performed by Five for Fighting. Remember Five for Fighting? <laughs> I remember the name. They, they, I always think I used to mix them up with Ben Folds Five and Three Doors Down. So I, a lot of number bands. No, exactly. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> my question for you is: How many people are in the band Five for Fighting? Uh, 
Strangely enough, I think this is a case where they're like Ben Folds 5, and uh, maybe I have this wrong, but I, my answer is two. Your answer is two. Two people. Well, ben Folds 5 is three. Okay, so I'm wrong then, because I was saying it's just like Ben Folds yeah, 5. Ben Folds 5 is and three. it's two. Uh, well, believe it or not, and I did not know this until today when I went down a little bit of a rabbit hole, uh, just one. It's just it's just the singer dude. Uh, Okay. His name is Vladimir John Andrasik, and he just decided to name himself Five for Fighting as like a, a stage name, uh, which is based on a hockey penalty where you get five minutes for fighting. So he's oh okay, he's just, he's just uh, one dude. He's just one one dude. Yeah, just like uh, Dog's That's... Eye View is also just one dude. <laughs> <laughs> one guy. Uh, yeah. yeah, go for okay. it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Did not get that one right. But let's see if you can rebound here with number two. Uh, again, spun off from this episode in some way, shape, or form. Kintad, who retired the last batter in the 2002 World Series? What is the name of that pitcher? And this is not multiple no. choice. The 2002 World Series. Boy, it would help if I knew who was in that one. I think this was just before the Yankees... I don't know, actually. Is this one Rivera? Huh. Who was in the 2000? Who, who was the 2002 series, AJ? I mean, I need that information. Um, okay. I'm just going to come up with a name. And I'm going to say, uh, I can give you just a last name. Absolutely. That is appropriate for trivia. I'm going to say Fisher. Fisher would be an excellent guess. Spun off of this. <laughs> Uh, the 2002 World Series, a seven-game series involving uh, the San Francisco Giants and the Angels, whatever they called themselves at that time, because they've gone through many different name changes of their city. Uh, we'll go with Los Angeles for now, although they're probably the of Anaheim at that era. Uh, so the Angels ended up winning four games to three, and three of those games, including Game 7, were saved by Mr. Troy Percival. Percival. Ah, Percival. Good one. <laughs> Good one. I should. I, it was there for was me. There? It was there Sitting for me. Right there. Who saves the day? It is Percival because he has the key. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. Right. Now my favorite question there, of every there. week, and I get to ask it this week. Yay! <laughs> yeah. What is the plot of season two, episode two of Criminal Minds, entitled P nine one one? P nine one one. The letter P, as in Percival, followed by the digits nine one one. Okay. Is it A? A meteor lands in a small town, and for some reason, the residents start to kill each other off. <laughs> Is it B? Uh. On the fifth anniversary of 9-11, the BAU is called upon to stop a new terrorist cell. Is it C? The BAU helps another unit in a race to stop a pedophile from auctioning off a young boy online. Or is it D? The BAU helps another unit... In a race to stop the spread of a dangerous new drug called P911. <laughs> well, 
Hmm, this is a tough one. Because P911 doesn't tell me anything, really. It could be any of the 911 references you made in your answers. Hmm. What was the, what, could you read D again for me? That was the drug called P911? That's so, that's, no, come on. I I mean I was hoping for like a P90X reference <laughs> as soon as I heard P911 um I I think I I'm going to rule out choice 1 I, I if if it's if I I cannot I would say this is jump the shark <laughs> if if we're talking about a meteor causing people to start killing people I I would say that, that it has made that point so I'm ruling that one out right away mm-hmm. and I I got the the nine one one five years later. I got the pedophile, and I got the, I don't like any of these choices really. Oh, but the pedophile, the pedophile is P, <laughs> and pedophiles like people that are nine or eleven. <laughs> oh God! I um. AJ, I don't know. I'm going to go with the answer is uh, the boring one, the 911, five years later, choice two, choice two, P, it, whatever yeah. that one, yeah, choice B. I, I know what you're saying. You want the fifth anniversary <laughs> terrorist one. Uh, yes. No, Kintad. <laughs> Come on. <Obviously. laughs> We are going to be dealing with pedophiles, unfortunately. Uh, uh, young boy being auctioned uh, online and how the BAU can prevent this from happening. Uh, <laughs> we will not be having a meteor. <laughs> yeah, if that was it, AJ, I, I was about to be done. You were not. You season were twel- not. Season 12 or 13, maybe, but not season oh, 2. Oh, trust me, by the time we get to 14... <laughs> <laughs> and 15. We're going to be having plots like this. Trust me. Just not today. Well, you didn't get any of the trivia questions right, but we had a good time nevertheless, and I look forward to next week's uh, case because uh, there aren't too many clunkers from here on out, to be honest. You know, there are going to be one or two, but uh, generally speaking, uh, at least for the next few seasons, we're, we're in for a weekly case of uh, excitement. Oh, nice. We're on a roll now. All right. Well, folks... Thank you so much for tuning in. That is our season two premiere. That is the show for this week. Thank you for joining us. We hope you had a great time. Uh, Please be sure, as usual, to make sure that you're subscribed to uh, our podcast. Maybe give it a little rating. Maybe give it a little review on your platform of choice. And be sure to spread the word. Let your friends know all about us. You can write to us (laughs) at any time at Felonious Pundits. (laughs) Felonious pundits at gmail.com. <laughs> it's just, it's funny. Um, or you can follow us on Twitter. That's another thing out there, too, AJ. Twitter. Uh, follow us on the Twitter. Maybe I need to start an Instagram. Maybe that's where all the criminal minds no, cats are hanging out. The... Where we solve crossword puzzles. <laughs> you get to watch us with the uh, word searches okay. and stuff. Oh, yeah. That's it. Anyway. <laughs> Anyway, folks, for AJ Mass, this is Katad Svensgaard saying goodbye and keep profiling. Wheels up.
All is riddle. And the key to a riddle is another riddle. Ralph Waldo Emerson.